Good afternoon, I'm Leon Davis and this is Altitude Adjustment. Today I'm talking about uh, U.S. immigration. America has labeled itself one of the greatest countries on earth, actually the greatest country on earth. And we've touted that uh, all of the wonderful attributes of being an American and we've encouraged immigration. So it's no wonder that people want to immigrate to America. So the real question is, how do we implement immigration? Now, the inscription on the Statue of Liberty, I'll read that for you really quick. Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free, the wretched refuse of your teeming shore. Send these, the homeless, the tempest tossed to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. Immigration coming up. Welcome to Altitude, Altitude. Adjustment. Adjustment. Now, uh, many of you may be familiar with the history of immigration in the United States, uh, but I'll just go over a little bit of it, a little bit of history <clears throat> that I've uh, come across in my research. Uh, Article 1, Section 8, Clause 4 of the Constitution expressly gives the United States Congress the power to establish a uniform rule of naturalization. The Naturalization Act of 1770 was the first uh, enacted for Im regarding immigration and the original um, United States natural naturalization law of March 26, 1790 provided the first rules to be followed by the United States in the granting of national citizenship. The law limited naturalization to immigrants who were free white persons of good character. It thus excluded American Indians or Native Americans, indentured servants, slaves, free blacks, and later Asians, although free blacks were allowed citizenship at the state level in certain states. It also provided for citizenship for the children of U.S. citizens born abroad, stating that such children shall be considered as natural-born citizens, the only U.S. state ever statute ever to use the term it specified that the right of citizenship did not descend to persons whose fathers have never been residents in the United States now the Constitution doesn't define natural born citizen neither does any current law and no one has ever brought a court case to decisively settle the question as a matter of US law the law enabled those who had resided in the country for two years and had kept their state, their current uh, state of residence for a year to apply for citizenship. However, it restricted naturalization to free white persons of good moral character. The Naturalization Act of 1795 increased the residency requirement to five years residence and added a requirement to give a three years notice of intention to apply for citizenship. And the Naturalization Act of 1798 further increased the residency requirement to 14 years and required five years notice of intent to apply for citizenship. Now, the Act of 1790 was repealed by the Naturalization Act of 1795, which extended the residence requirement to five years, and by the Naturalization Act of 1798, which extended it to 14 years. The 1798 Act was repealed uh, 
by the Naturalization Law of 1802. Major changes to the definition of citizenship were ratified in the 19th century following the American Civil War. The 14th Amendment in 1868 granted citizenship to people born within the United States and subject to its jurisdiction, but it excluded untaxed Native Americans and those living on reservations. The Naturalization Act of 1870 extended the naturalization laws to aliens of African nativity and to persons of African descent. In 1898, the Supreme Court decision in United States, the Wong Kim Ark granted citizenship to American-born child, American child of Chinese parents who had a permanent docile and residence in the United States and who were carrying on business in the United States and <clears throat> were not employed in any diplomatic or official capacity under the emperor of China. Now, all persons born in the United States since United States v. Wong Kim Ark have been granted citizenship, uh, although the Supreme Court has never explicitly ruled on the matter of children born to parents who are not legal residents of the United States. Native Americans uh, who were indigenous to this land were finally granted citizenship by the Indian Citizenship Act of 1924 whether or not they belong to a federally recognized tribe. The Immigration and Naturalization Act of 1952 prohibits racial and gender discrimination in naturalization. So um, all of this, most of this information was taken directly from um, uh, Wikipedia. Uh, and I verified it with a couple of sources to, to ensure that or at least be more comfortable that the information was being provided was, um, was, was I can have a little more trust into. Um, I currently, and when, when the, um, I created the graphic talking about this episode, um, one of the questions I ask is, is the immigration system broken? And you hear a lot about that currently in discussions about immigration and, um, there are a couple of things wrong with that. First, um, immigration in this country has always been fluid. It's always been changing. Um, there are many uh, factions driving the immigration policy. And so for the system to be broken, there would have had to be a established system that's uh, unchanging, unflinching, and then it was damaged in some way. So we, we know that that's not the case. Our, our immigration system um, can be changed on, on, uh, with an act of Congress. And um, we are as a, still developing as a country about how we want to treat uh, immigration. So it's not really a broken system. And those people using the term broken system are saying that <clears throat> they don't like the current system. And in order to demonize the current system, they have to call it broken. So it's an attempt to put the discussion more to their favor. So if the system is identified as broken, that means it needs to be fixed and things need to necessarily change. And then they don't, ha they don't have the responsibility 
of necessarily identifying what's broken about it, but trying to put other people who defend the system on the defensive, uh, saying, you've got a broken system, what are you going to do about it? Uh, and these are the changes that we need to make to the system. Um, but immigration um, has, like uh, all of the other um, national policies, uh, is there to try to um, ensure civility, ensure orderliness, ensure consistency in how we function as a civilized society. Um, the, the current occupant who is setting immigration policy is, <clears throat> pardon me, um, brings to mind to me um, in the early 1900s, um, the United States foreign policy was isolationism. We did not want to get involved in uh, other skirmishes outside of our hemisphere. And so we took the um, stance that um, if we bury our heads in the sand, if we don't get involved, if we don't engage, then we won't have to be brought into um, someone else's skirmish or someone else's problems. And World War I pretty much shattered that for most people. And the reason I say most people is because we still have many people pushing for isolationism, uh, not only in our immigration policy, but in our foreign policy. <clears throat> this, this isolationism is that you know, if we don't get involved, if we keep ourselves to ourselves, then the world will just leave us alone and we will be able to uh, exist and have a perfect and wonderful and beautiful utopia uh, within our borders. And the problem with that, uh, one, of the, one of the problems, so we uh, have this wonderful system that we tell the world at every chance we get how wonderful America is and that we're the greatest and that we have freedoms that you don't have. And um, the, the reason you're jealous or you're angry at us is because we have such great freedoms. Um, when you do that, you, you've made yourself, uh, irresistible. You made yourself, so you, you're saying, yeah, you, you've got problems there and, and you're struggling. Um, uh, you can, I'm, I'm going to say you can come here, but, but, but you, you're, you're making a utopia that everyone would like to have. So, um, so people want to come here and <clears throat> and we have a need um, as evidenced by some of our immigration like uh, HB1 visas um, and uh, oh, the term I had a whole bunch of terms. Um, that I had to deal with when doing the research. But anyway, um, so we have migrant workers um, to come in and to do to do work. And we have need for that. Um, 
so there's always the argument that um, we don't need migrant workers because we could take workers from other parts of the country and have them go and do the work that migrant workers do. And that's, I think, a, a part of this discussion. But um, the, the, the pushback on that is if if they if we could do that, how, how do we make that happen? Do we physically uproot people from where they are in Iowa and uh, New Hampshire who aren't working and put them in um, an area where migrant workers are needed or, or workers are needed to uh, for crops and stuff? So how do you get those people to go do those jobs? So, so that being another significant discussion, but currently migrant workers fill those positions and our utopia gets to function, continue to function as we'd like to, for it to function. A lot of times uh, we want to close our eyes to how immigration helps us be better, how it helps us to um, make sure that our, that we can uh, go around the world and say uh, we are the best or we have such a great um, society and we have uh, such a, a place that you would want to be. Um, so one of the, one of the issues that um, is talked about a lot, I think in the, the current discussion about, uh, immigration is we want to uh, skills test people that come into the country. And so we, we put up this. So, so let me go back. <clears throat> so borders, countries, the way land mass is, um, there are some natural borders like um, that rivers that run between uh, countries and or mountain ranges. <clears throat> um, and then, um, so there are, so we have shorelines. So in order to, we have a lot of shoreline uh, in this country and there are a lot of open areas uh, land areas between us and our bordering country and bordering countries that people can use to get to and from the United States. Um, so the, the idea that we want to put up um, ways to keep people out so there are so many different ways for them to get to our shores, to get into America. Um, plane, boat, train, car, walking, running, bicycles. Um, controlling your border is... Um, so in the discussion of... Um, so in the discussion of immigration, you do want to address 
how people get into your to the country because regardless of anything else there's still the issue of resources um, there are only so much so much resources that are available to care for the amount of people that come into the country or that are in the country um, and that's a part of another issue also because um, we use natural materials, raw materials in our foreign, um, in our, and <clears throat> discussing or in implementing our foreign policy. Um, so we, we use those and, um, and it's important in how we feed and provide for, uh, people that are in our, in, um, within our borders. Um, the skills assessment to me comes across as um, pretty, pretty harsh in that um, you are only valuable to us if you have a skill that is going to make us better. Of course, you want people to be able to be productive in your society but if you're building your society on the backs of those uh, immigrants, um, how do you how do you feel comfortable addressing those immigrants? Because they not they're not now they have contributed to the society. They've helped build it. So shouldn't they have more of a voice in it? if that's what they're doing. And so um, not just coming into the country, but so if, if you're allowing them to come into the country and you're profiting from their work, do, what do you give them in return? Do they then should have be able to have a voice in how immigration is handled because they are helping build the society. Um, there was a point and I forgot to mark it on my, my, my list. Um, now I guess I'll have to come back to it. So, um, one of the things about our current immigration policy is it, it can change and, uh, every four years as the administration changes. Uh, and we've seen that significantly in, in what areas and aspects of our, our immigration policy um, become significant, how we treat other people. That's what I wanted to go back to. Um, just remember, um, so people, um, neighbor, so we have our neighbors, and um, so people try to get into the country. Now, what would cause someone to uproot their family, pull up stakes, everything that they've worked for and built for, <clears throat> and just move, move to another country? Yes, part of it is seeking a better life. But if you have a good job, if you have a stable environment where you are, what would cause you to
to leave? What would cause you to move? And so we're getting immigrants, and I'm speaking mostly about the border between Mexico and um, the United States. So we know that there are a lot of areas that have difficulty with um, cartels and gangs. And if part of part of securing our borders can be, and, and this is also encapsulated in our foreign policy, in helping areas where people are becoming refugees, we're leaving their environment and seeking a better life someplace else. If we're help to stabilize those, and that's, and as, as I said, it's a part of our foreign policy. Um, isolationism says we're not going to get involved. We're not going to get involved in helping to stabilize that community. We're not going to get involved in helping to um, uh, protect that community or any of those things. And that only leaves if, if, if those communities have no way to get, or they have a more difficult way of stabilizing their own environment, they're going to, out of just pure self-protection, probably going to move. They're going to try to find some place to go that is going to help them to survive. Just, sur just surviving is a basic concept of any carbon-based life form. And so if we just, our, our only way of handling um, immigration is to build a wall or uh, secure our borders with military or, um, or just use um, isolationist tactics, um, we're going to always be constantly uh, under some type of um, effort to beef that up. If, if more people were secure in where they were, uh, it's less likely that we're going to have greater immigration. I'm not saying that we, ha we have to be the only or only um, the only country trying to help stabilize other countries, um, but our foreign policy, which impacts our immigration policy, if we work with our part with other partners, and and that is what I think the lessons that were learned from that some of us learned from World War II, World War One um, is that. And, and that is why we have spread ourselves. Part of why we have spread ourselves uh, out across the world is to try to help bring some level of stability to other environments. And that brings the more peace that is available around the planet, the more peace each individual country on the planet um, has less turmoil, has less uh difficulty, then we can go, we can have, uh, our immigration policy doesn't have to be then that 
you so so forcefully. We don't have to separate children to try to cause more fear. You've got people who are having a difficult time where they are. Pick up everything that they've got. Everything leaving, they probably have left quite a bit of stuff in an attempt to be safe and to be secure. I cannot, I'm, I'm not absolutely comfortable with the idea that everyone taking the harsh road across um, difficult land, dealing with smugglers, is doing it just because they want um, free stuff, just because they want, um, just because they want welfare or public assistance or uh, medical services. Um, um, people like to be around people that are like them. They. So, so picking up and going to some place where you don't know the language, where you're not versed always in the customs, does not seem like something a rational, just comfortably well-off individual is going to do. Of course, there are the adventurers, but there is a struggle in our society between two, I think, two factions of um immigration ideas. One is isolationism. We don't want anyone else. And then the other is a more compassionate. Let's yes, we, we recognize that people are um, in dire situations and our shoulders are big enough to help carry that. And continue to work towards building better communities where those people have come from. So the, the idea is there is a crisis immediately. And how do we handle the crisis? We could either slam the door shut in your face or we can um, do the best that we can to help you and then help you help yourself. And so I think that's where our immigration policy is at the time. And so I don't agree with the current isolationism. Um, as we as we close, as we wall ourselves off from the world, we are walled off from the world. So it, at this time, America is doing great. We are uh, a country that is uh economically profitable, profitable, um, militarily solid. And there is the assumption that we will always be that way. If we turn our back on the world today, can we expect them in times of crisis to stand with us? I, um, one of the, okay, so we're talking about the wall, <clears throat> pardon me. So we're talking about the wall and it made me think of uh, the Great Wall of China. Now I, I realize that there may be a different reason 
why that wall was built. But when you wall yourself off, um, as I mentioned, when you wall yourself off, you walled yourself off. Um, oh man, I had had it um, in my in my mind, and it just not that fast. Anyway, um, so oh, oh that's what it was. Um, a wise man. I'm sorry. A smart man learns from his mistakes. A wise man learns from others' mistakes. Building that wall on our southern border. If we're if we do that, I, I we need to make sure that it is going to be a really interesting tourist attraction because life changes life changes constantly what is going on today will be different than what is going on tomorrow the wall that we build today may be useless come tomorrow so I think building bridges we always talk about you hear that a lot building bridges is much better than building walls let's keep in mind that what we do to others we may have to face one day I'm going to close it off at that I have um, this has been an interesting show for me I thought I had all of the um my material uh, written down like I, I wanted and I did not. And I have to, uh, uh, oh, pardon me, take a deep breath. But anyway, um, I'm going to review this one and I, I may actually wind up redoing this show because I didn't feel like I uh, really expressed everything that I wanted to express. But uh, I want to thank you very much for taking the time to listen to this. And um, if you if you dare, <laughs> you can replay the video uh, podcast of this episode on YouTube. You can find it by searching Lions Den STL. Now, the audio podcast is available on Stitcher.com, Podcast.com, and the iTunes Store and the Google Play, Google Music Play Store. The internet, of course, is powered by your likes, shares, and comments. Liking and sharing and commenting on this episode will be extremely helpful, and I'd appreciate that. And just do it because it matters. As always, remain calm, be cool, and above all, be careful. Look out for the other guy, because they may not be looking out for you. <laughs>